You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. We're talking Indians baseball today, this Friday, November 17th, and pinch hitting for Jordan Bastian, who is under the weather, our very own Anthony Castrovince. And Anthony, are you a, a lefty, righty, or switch hitter? What are we talking here? I'm a no-hitter. I, I can't hit from either <laughs> side of the plate. So I, I just go up there and, and try to, you know, hopefully, like Homer Simpson and, and Simpson's at the bat, you know, I hope I get hit by the pitch uh, with the bases loaded. That's the best I can hope for. And it got him in the Hall of Fame, right? Exactly, exactly. It worked for him. It can work for me. But Absolutely. I'm staying away from the Bastion household, though, by the way. They got some <laughs> nasty bug running through that place. So, oh, boy. Um, you know, I'm, I'm staying far away from that team. I don't blame you. Uh, Jordan and some other of his uh, counterparts uh, under the weather right now. I guess that's yeah. the, the price you pay for six months of uh, nonstop travel during the baseball season. <laughs> so, Jordan, get better soon. Anthony, we are glad that you are over the weather. And uh, let's start off by talking about uh, Corey Kluber, now a two-time Cy Young winner joining some exclusive uh, company in that regard, winning here in 2017, coupled with his 2014 victory. And Anthony, I know this guy is, you know, he's called the clue bot for a reason. He's very stoic and businesslike, but man, you would have thought a smile would have cracked the guy's face when <laughs> upon hearing he'd won his second career Cy Young, but he just looked as if somebody told him that his car had been towed. You, you know, I mean, what... <laughs> What what do you make of that? I mean, is there anything to make of it? I know that this is how he is, but I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, man, at least uh, give us a grin or some sort of thumbs up or something here. <laughs> no, I, I would have been disappointed with, uh, you know, a, a more earnest reaction, you know, a, a legitimate laugh or smile. I, that, it would have been Corey Kluber, you know. He would have been betraying his own identity. <laughs> now, behind the scenes, you know, posing for a picture with his wife and kids, yeah, there's a nice smile. And he's a – Corey Kluber's a great guy. He's He's actually – uh, behind the scenes, a, a pretty funny guy um, and, and a real prankster, too, in that clubhouse. Um, so I, I've always enjoyed my interactions with Corey Kluber, but I do like uh, the visage, the mystique of the Klubot, uh, especially between the lines. You know, he doesn't betray anything, doesn't reveal anything. I don't know if you remember, Matt, but there's a few years ago where he's doing an, an in-game interview and his teammates are pelting him with sunflower seeds and uh, powder or whatever else they had in the dugout. Um, and, and he was just, you know, a cool customer, continuing the interview, not blinking once. Um, that's just, that's his, uh, mentality. That's his mindset. So yeah, if if he would have had, um, you know, real genuine emotion and tears or anything of that nature, I would have been upset because that would have not been the the Corey Kluber we know and love. Always got to stay in character no matter what. And he certainly did that before the cameras the other night as he was announced as the 2017 Cy Young winner. And, you know, Anthony, when you go back to the first half of the season, I mean, Kluber's first three starts were, were, you know, just pretty flat out bad. His ERA was over, you know, it was in the mid fives and then he gets hurt. Meanwhile, Chris Sale in Boston, uh, he's just blowing everybody away. And I mean, it would have took at that point an act of God for anybody but Sale to win the Cy Young. And lo and behold, you know, Sale stumbles down the stretch. He runs out of gas and Kluber in the second half. Was this as good as you had ever seen him even compared to his 2014 uh, run when he won his first Cy Young? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you said it would take an act of God. It took an act of Kluber. I mean, he really <laughs> turned it on. Uh, really, the first start back from the DL, um, he pitched against the A's on June 1st. And you know, I remember being at that game and just he was so on point. But you didn't know, like, okay, is this him or is this the A's? Because the A's were a real free-swinging bunch, especially in that series. Um, and he was mowing them down. And you're like, it was probably a mix of both. But, no, it actually turned out to be the starting point of something really, a really incredible run. Uh, of 23 starts of just absolute dominance by Corey Kluber um, and, and finishes with the major league lead and wins and ERA. Uh, he had five complete games, three shutouts. 
just his whip, 0.869 whip, that's not supposed to happen uh, in a 203-inning season. So, And the fact that he got to over 200 innings despite missing really all of May um, is just incredible. This guy, for me, Matt, what it all came down to was, you know, everybody talked about the Indians beat up on Chris Sale twice. They, they put up seven runs on him twice in August, and that was obviously huge in the Cy Young voting. Um, but really, the, the fundamental thing for me is the way Corey Kluber goes about preparing for his start every fifth day, um, his routine. You know, we joke about the Klubot thing that we were talking about earlier where he doesn't you know, show any emotion and that kind of thing, but he really is robotic in his routine. And guys really look up to him and that Indians team for the way he's, he's so prepared. Um, he works so hard in, in the weight room. And he puts himself physically in the position to get better as the season goes along as opposed to wearing down. And that was the difference. You know, Chris Sale in his career, and people talk about Chris Sale's body, um, and, and he's, he's been remarkably durable in this game. But I do think that he has a trend of, of wearing down a bit late in seasons. Whereas Corey Kluber is the opposite. He gets better as the year goes along. And then this year, that was really taken to the extreme. So, you know, for, for him to, to, to meet Chris Sale statistically and then surpass him late in the year, it was, it was a remarkable thing to watch every fifth day. Um, and, you know, Corey made the, the point after he received this award. He said this, this kind of validates the first Cy Young. And I get what he means by that because when he won that Cy Young in 2014, it was phenomenal. It was well-deserved. Um, you know, he edged out Felix Hernandez that year. Um, some people thought Hernandez should have won the award and blah, blah, blah. It was, it was really a, a, a tight statistical battle. But you did kind of wonder in the back of your mind, like, okay, is that the best Corey Kluber will ever be? Because that kind of came not totally out of nowhere, but he was certainly a late bloomer in this game. Um, and then now to have his second Cy Young, and he's been very good since 2014, you know, he's, he's clearly in that short list of, uh, of best pitchers in the game. And, um, you know, he rebounded from a remarkable innings total and a remarkable workload in 2016. Uh, he had the little bump in the road early in the year, but he turned it up a notch uh, from June 1st forward. It was it was breathtaking. Yeah, it was it ever. And, uh, Anthony, a lot of the things you're saying about Kluber, about his work ethic and his preparation, his dedication in the weight room and setting an example for the younger guys, when I hear all this, it reminds me, quite frankly, of the late Roy Halladay. Um, have you heard comparisons between those two, uh, you know, at, at any point during the year, or especially uh, since the tragic passing of Halliday? I've never heard that direct comparison, but it does make sense. Um, you know, our, our friend uh, Jordan Bastion is, is too laid up right now and, and too weak to join us and, and talk about this stuff because, uh, you know, he doesn't have a voice as, as we speak right now. But uh, he would tell you that he covered both of these guys. And there is something, there is a shared mentality there. You know, George told the story of, of Roy Halladay dripping with sweat and just having, you know, gone through this, this massive pregame workout uh, and his teammates getting on him because it was the last day of the regular season. He was done for the year. He'd already made his last start. He was preparing for next April. And, and Corey Kluber's got that in him. You know, they, they share that, that same kind of gene uh, somewhere in their system where, Corey Clippers was already talking after the Cy Young when he was already preparing for, for 2017, you know, he, he had already begun the workout process. And, um, and I, I think he's learned along the way, you know, what it takes for him to take that ball every fifth day. And he, he takes so much pride in not just taking the ball every fifth day, but you know, this guy goes deep in the games. I mentioned earlier, five complete games. That doesn't happen in today's game. You know, um, this guy's consistently in a good spot to, to give you legs. That's why what I said earlier, where, 
you're not supposed to miss a month and still pitch 200 innings. You're not supposed to pitch. Guys don't pitch 200 innings anymore anyway. Guys yeah. who stay healthy all year. Right. So for a guy to miss a month and still do that, that that's a remarkable workload. Yeah, I mean, if, if there's one guy that can carry on the legacy of uh, one of the all-time greats in Roy Halladay, it certainly appears to be Corey Kluber, who at age uh, 31, I believe, is only getting better. And we'll see what uh, 2018 holds in store in terms of an encore for the now reigning Cy Young winner. Uh, Anthony, in terms of the MVP vote, obviously that went to uh, Jose Altuve, Aaron Judge, uh, runner-up uh, from the Yankees. Those were the two primary guys. But when you when you break down the top five vote, Two of the guys in the top five were not only Indians, but homegrown Indians. And uh, Jose Ramirez coming in third, Francisco Lindor coming in fifth. And again, you know, even though uh, no actual hardware went the way of the Indians franchise uh, for the MVP this year, to have two young homegrown guys in that top five, that's going to be a very boastful thing uh, for the for the organization, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Kluber was even seventh. Even Kluber received a, a third-place vote. Yeah. Uh, in the MVP tally, so you're you're pretty well set up the middle there with your your ace pitcher, and then going up the middle with your second. Well, I, I'm calling it from this point forward probably Jose Ramirez the second baseman. I think that's their preference, uh, and of course Lindor at short. Yeah, it's just a special uh, it's a special window for this organization right now. I know we're coming off a, a brutal division series loss, um, you know, to the Yankees. That uh, you know, fans of this team are, are still processing what happened there. Um, but it just speaks to the absurdity of October. You know, it's such a pinball game. But this team that we saw in 2017 was maybe the most balanced Indians team in, in people's lifetimes in Cleveland. I'm talking about even going back to those 90s teams that were so great. You know, the balance of this club, I think, superseded those even because you had one of, by, by some measures, one of the great uh, pitching staffs of all time uh, in terms of total staff production. Um, and then you had this, this deep and fun and dynamic lineup, and, and Lindor and Ramirez were obviously the, the key focal points there. When you have uh, two up-the-middle players, and again, I'm, I'm calling Jose Ramirez the second baseman as opposed to the third baseman, but he can obviously play at either one. Um, but two up-the-middle players, you know, getting north of 80 extra base hits for you, that's special stuff. Um, and, and those guys are just, they're also just so fun. They're just so fun. Their personalities, you know, the way they play the game. Ramirez is that, that you know, little guy with a chip on his shoulder, um, kind of uh, Jose Altuve-esque. Uh, we're talking about the AL MVP. You know, Ramirez has a lot of those same qualities as Altuve. And then Lindor, you know, he wore the Mr. Smile uh, moniker during the Players Weekend, and, and that's really who he is. You know, he, he's just such a charming guy, you know, on and off the field. Um, really everything you could want in a franchise-type player. And, and he really turned it up from a power perspective this year. I, I didn't know if he ever would have a 30-home run season in him, let alone this early in his career, and that speaks well for his future. So, um, really something special uh, to build off of and as disappointing as 2017's uh, postseason uh, showing was. Um, and for those two guys in particular, you, know, you feel really good about having them locked up for the next few years and, and you know, the, the production you're going to get from those two spots. Uh, again, whether, no matter where Ramirez is playing, he can produce for you. And Lindor is, is just really special production from the shortstop spot. Yeah, I mean, you could find two worse guys to hit your wagons to, couldn't you? I mean, uh, it's, yeah. their, their futures are the – look, the, forget about the future. The present is bright, and the future <laughs> maybe even more bright as these guys really come into their own and come into their prime. So a lot to look forward to for the Indians here in uh, coming years as they look to build off a successful uh, 2017. Ultimately, as you said, the one that ended in a uh, disappointment. Now, a big part of the Indians' success the past couple years has been uh, the veteran Carlos Santana, uh, as expected – declining uh, the team's qualifying offer. He now is officially a free agent. But, Anthony, it, it seems like he has not completely closed the door 
on uh, reuniting with Cleveland on a multi-year deal. You know, most of the time when these guys turn down the QOs, they're looking elsewhere and they're they're not even considering their current club as an option for the you know for that multi-year deal. It seems like Santana though is a little bit different. You know, how much desire is there on his part and the team's part to maybe you know get a multi-year deal done? Well, there's desire. I, I think that. First of all, the qualifying our stuff, you know, we all know that was just kind of procedural, right? The team right. makes the offer because it wants to recoup the draft pick if he signs elsewhere. There's never really a serious expectation that Santana would sign it, um, even, you know, as much as $17.4 million for one year is nothing to sneeze at. You know, he's after a multi-year commitment. I think early in the year, Matt, there was a real acknowledgement, really by both sides, that this is it. Like, this is our last go-around together. And Santana was pretty sad about that. You know, he loves Cleveland. He loves playing for the Indians. Um, he is what amounts to a homegrown player. They acquired him when he was an A-ball. He was a catcher in A-ball in the Dodgers system when they acquired him in the Casey Blake trade. So he really came of age with the tribe. And, um, you know, he really went after it in his free agent year on the defensive end. He really proved himself as a, a viable glove at first base. And that was fun to watch. Um, and then really turned it up a notch offensively in the second half, as he's been prone to do. But um, as far as it making it work long term, the market's going to dictate that. And I don't know. I feel... I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I do feel more optimistic about him coming back to the Indians now than I did at the start of the year. I think for two reasons. One, again, the defensive equation and what he, how he proved himself there, because they don't want to be carrying two DH types in him and Edwin Encarnacion. You know, that's a dangerous thing. But if you feel better about Santana's uh, defensive, you know, output uh, at first base, that, that's a good thing. And two, just the market is so saturated with first baseman this year. And Santana is near the top of that class. Uh, it's, it's basically him and Eric Hosmer. Eric Hosmer won, Santana two. Um, maybe some team will go aggressive on Santana, just balking at the Eric Hosmer asking price. But I, I also think there's just this wealth of guys like you know Logan Morrison and um, Mark Reynolds had a huge year. Uh, there, there's a lot of guys there, and there's not many contenders looking for first base help. So maybe he falls to the Indians. You know, maybe the price tag does align and, and they're able to work things out. It'll be interesting to watch because the Indians have a lot of moving parts uh, this offseason. Jason Kipnis being one of them. You know, where does he play? Infield, outfield. Um, Michael Brantley, they've, they've you know, floated the notion of maybe seeing him a little bit at first base. But, um, you know, so a lot of that is going to hinge on the, the free agencies of Carlos Santana and Jay Bruce and, and where those conversations go. Absolutely. And as far as Santana, who I believe is uh, 31 years of age now, we see a lot of times there's all there's often a tug of war between, you know, a front office that wants to offer, you know, a three year deal. The player obviously wants more security. They're going for at least four. Uh, How do you see that playing out if, in fact, a reunion, you know, does potentially happen here? Yeah, I mean, I think. You know, he'll be looking for a four or five year deal. And, you know, again, this is one where the market will dictate what makes sense. Um, I don't know, man. I, I think that Eric Hosmer being 28 years old obviously works in his favor, but, you know, the asking price is so high right now. I'm, I'm just, I'm really curious to see if things happen, if there's a certain amount of aggression on the guy behind the guy. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, Santana's kind of in that second tier he's still in the top tier but he's second to Hosmer and I think we saw some aggression on the part of the Astros a year ago like this is the guy we want it wasn't the top tier guy it was like Josh Reddick you know when they wanted Brian McCann in a trade they, they go you know aggressively after him um, they, they got their work done early and on the part of the players you know power has been really devalued in the open market so they're we're seeing I mean Reddick was a great example of a guy who got a nice deal early and it turned out to be the best offer on the table. Edwin Encarnacion 
turned down the first offer from the Blue Jays last year. It was four years and $80 million, and he turned it down, ended up with three years and $60 million. So you're kind of kicking yourself after the fact. I think, I, and talking with a couple guys who were approaching free agency this year, I think there was an understanding that, you know, there's sometimes there is value to uh, getting something done quickly. And, you know, hey, this is a fit. The team likes me. Uh, and, and on the part of the team, you know, this is the player we, we would feel comfortable with at this spot. Let's move on it. I wouldn't be shocked if something happens reasonably quick with Carlos Santana because of that. I think there's a tremendous amount of value in on-base percentage in today's game. Um, it's, there's so many guys hitting 20 home runs now, but to have a guy who consistently gives you a, a, a north of a 350 on-base percentage is a switch hitter. You know, it, again, played good defense at first base here in 2017. You know, that has value. And there might be something to be said for acting on that quickly as opposed to waiting for Eric Hosmer's price to come down. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it would be refreshing on many levels to see a guy sacrifice potentially a little bit of money uh, for the comfort level. As you said, that uh, Santana obviously loves Cleveland. He knows he's got a dynamite team he'd be a part of. Uh, they love him. He loves them. And, and maybe, like you said, if something does get done between himself and the tribe, it gets done quickly, and we'll see what the weeks hold in that regard. Anthony Kastrovitz, we thank you today for pinch hitting. And uh, Mr. Bastion, get well soon, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Uh, Anthony, thanks so much. In the meantime, it's Matt Waymeyer signing off for MLB.com Extras, Cleveland Indians.